Welcome to the Branches Podcast. Following the lead of Jesus, we seek to embrace people regardless of their background or their present ground in the hope they find holy ground. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about the reckless love of Jesus or our community of faith, please visit our website at branchesoc.com. So I'm going to start this morning with a howdy because we just got back from Texas. So howdy, y'all. Welcome to Branches. As you guys saw in this video, uh, this is our last Sunday at the harbor. So if you come here next Sunday, you can celebrate church by yourself um, and maybe with a few people who missed the memo. But we will be at Shorecliffs in San Clemente next Sunday with our start time back to 930. Um, we're asking, excited about that, woo! Um, we are asking if you guys would love to join us at 9. We'll be praying for the school, praying for the future of the church, and just praying in general um, for where the branches is going to go and where we're headed and um, just the Lord continue to use branches. So if you would like to join us at 9, we're going to pray, and at 9.30 is when service will officially start. On your tables, you will see these. These are connection cards. So if you have never filled one of these out or you're not getting emails from Kim or I, please fill this out. Um, that way you know where we're going. You'll know, oh, they're at Shorecliffs. Oh, they're over here. Oh, men's retreat's coming up, women's retreat, all that kind of stuff. So you will be in the know. So if you've not filled one of these out, please do. Um, and then you can turn them in at the sound table. That's probably the best since we already did offering. All right, from here, uh, I want to introduce Christian Woodfin and Jim Lorenzen. These are the handsome fellows that got to join me in Texas. So last Thursday night at about 7, we started driving to Texas. Uh, And we got to Texas Friday night about the same time. Um, And from there, we had an incredible experience. So I'm going to let Christian talk about uh, the first part, and you guys will see pictures showing up on this slide. These are, these are people's front yards. This is real-time uh, houses that we were actually at, neighborhoods that we actually drove through. So you'll see some pictures. This is in uh, Katy, Texas, just west of Houston. And then you'll see another house that we worked in in Beaumont, Texas. So, Christian. Sweet. Um... Our initial, we were, we were coming in, we were staying in Katy, and we had seen, I've seen things on media, we saw things on media, but we pulled into Victor's, oh, there we go, can you hear me? We're good? All right. We, uh, we pulled into uh, Victor's neighborhood, and all of us all at the same time just jaws dropped um, at the reality of seeing everybody's houses just put on their front lawn. Um, drywall, couches, anything you have in your house, just thrown out and so that's when it really hit home and it was like these people have to totally rebuild their lives um and so yeah that was a huge shock and um but when we got there started working with victor that first day what we saw was um how god was working in the entire community Uh, we were working with second baptist church and they were talking about not only churches who are going out and pouring the community but the entire like houston family city was pouring back out um, into the city. And so there's such a big um, community 
people are coming together. Neighbors are meeting neighbors they never would have met if it wasn't for the hurricane. And so that's when we talked with uh, Laverne. She was talking about how there's such a cohesiveness of Houston um, coming together. And they have so much hope um, right now. And they're, they're strong. Texas pride, as uh, one said. They will conquer. So it's very positive. Uh, one of the beautiful things was, as Christian said, you know, communities were coming together. The friends that we were staying with, you know, they had reached out to their neighbors and said, hey, we're collecting donations. You know, we'd love for you guys to help. And she had one neighbor reach back and say, I would have never talked to you <laughs> if it wasn't for this. And she was grateful that they were willing to kind of reach across the street and meet their neighbors. And so again and again, we'd see this common theme of, yeah, this is a crappy situation. <laughs> you know, your whole house is now on your front yard. But there was this joy that I don't even know how to explain it, that these people had, that they were still thankful to be alive, and they were thankful to God that they were where they were at. I get to tell you about JB, and also um, get to throw a little confessional in there. I have a serious character flaw. I am one of the least empathetic people there is. I just, I just figure, why mope when you can work? You know, and maybe that's just my way of dealing with it. So, serious character flaw. One of the things that I was doing was working constantly. And what I realized during the trip was they didn't need me to work as much as they needed what these two guys did was sit down and talk and or really listen. People had so many rad stories and I totally missed it because I was working so hard. And these guys were like spending like an hour at, with Laverne and just that's so much, that's what that family needed. Like generations of a family in a living room talking with these two guys and I walk by and I'm like, oops, that's where I should have been. And then when we were out on the driveway, just like <laughs> Laverne trying to slip me lunch money, like going to hug me and trying to angle money into my pocket and I had to, like, threaten to wrestle her on the, on the, con you know, on the driveway. And just <clears throat> then, JB, like, we, pull, we drive to Beaumont for no good reason other than we heard it got ripped apart. And as we're driving through, there's really nobody working. Like, it seems to be all done. People are just waiting for this stuff to get off their, their lawn. And then we see at the very end of the street where we have to turn around, this guy comes like waddling out of his front door and we're like, oh boy, you know, like, and Dave yells out, like, asks if he needs help. And uh, he's like, oh yeah, in about a half hour. I'm like, okay, so we're gonna sit around and wait or like, okay, what do you need help with? He goes, well, I wanna clear a path so we can get this furniture out. So we just pull in the driveway and get out and we look the entire living room up to our knees is trash and clothes and stuff. Like, he had windows break, and all his neighbor's stuff ended up in his house. 
So the water line is at the seven foot mark. There's about a foot of space between the roof or the ceiling and, and on the drywall. Like you could see all his oven floated. Stuff settled underneath the oven. I've never cleaned a countertop with a metal rake before. Like, that's how I got all this stuff off. It was crazy. It, and the whole time, every person you, you talk to or hang out with, they're smiling. They're, like, glad they made it out. They're, they're glad they're alive. And it's, like, they just seemed like reality had set in, and they had all that time to grieve. And now it's just time to get together and work hard and, and help each other. And there was a lot of that. There was a lot of just giving of your time and effort to your neighbor. So kudos to those people out there. So we tell you guys all of this to, one, encourage you guys, but also let you get a glimpse of the hope and the joy that's in Texas that it's going to get to Florida and get to Puerto Rico and these other places. Um, there's other churches who are going to be sending teams from our area, and we hope to be sending another team. We're waiting to hear back on a few things. But if you guys want to go and experience something that will forever change your life, you know, one, you will see the, the devastation, and you'll go, oh, my gosh. But you also get to experience the Laverne's, uh, the JBs, you know, these people that we got to meet. There were people that we literally did no work for. You know, at one point we were just trying to find people to help, and we talked to this old man who was power washing his driveway. You know, we, the, uh, the youth had made cards for families out there, and so I, was, I passed him a couple of cards, you know, and it was kind of like quick couple words, and we moved on. When we came back around, he, like, called us over, and then kind of did one of these moves. So Jim took off, like, trying to catch him. And he's like, oh, no, I'm fine. He's like, I just wanted to show you guys something. And we're like, okay, like, what do you want to show us? And he pulls us around to his backside of his house where his garage is. And he has two immaculate 70s eras Corvettes, one that he had blood, sweat, and tears put back and made original. But they were now destroyed. They, you could see where the water line was on their cars. And he just, he's like, I just needed to show it one more time to someone. And so as he's, like, showing us his car, he, like, begins to tear up a little bit. You know, and it was just, he just needed to talk. You know, he shared this, like, yeah, insurance is going to pick him up on Monday. You know, but the blessing in this is that the money I'll get from those cars will rebuild his house. Because I think we heard in the statistic of 80% of the people out there didn't have flood insurance. Um, and so they're on their own. Another crazy thing, the first house we went to, Victor's house, and I think where Ernesto was, is they survived the storm. It wasn't the actual hurricane that hit them. They had to crack one of the reservoirs open to keep it from breaking, and that's what flooded their house. So they survived the hurricane, and it's the aftermath that then destroyed the house. So there is trips that are going to be going. There's one leaving Saturday with one of our uh, churches in the area. If you guys would like to go and experience this, but also just give that listening ear and just be this additional light in this darkness of the, you know, the aftermath of a hurricane, 
I would love to put you in contact with who that person is um, and give you that option to go and serve. Um, you know, one of the, the trip that's leaving Saturday, he's like, just pay for your flight to get there and we'll handle everything else. Um, I think flights are under $300. And so it's easy to get out there and be part of something. The team that's leaving Saturday is going to be in the Beaumont area where we're, we talked about JB. I mean, this is JB's kitchen right there. That's where uh, Jim did some handiwork in there. Um, Beaumont was hit super hard, and they still have hundreds of homes that haven't even started the process. So uh, with that, I want to pray. There's JB right there reading some of the letters. Um, he was awesome. So I'm going to pray for this morning, and then uh, I'll give you guys a chance to get up and greet each other, and then we'll get started. Father, I thank you for this morning. Thank you for the, the years that we've been able to be at the harbor just serving you and learning more about you. I pray that you continue to bless the harbor and the staff here and the people that will come here. I pray that you also uh, bless the move and just allow us to just continue to serve you. Lord, we also lift up Texas and what you did there and what you are doing there and just your spirit moving, Lord. Um, I just praise you for this church in your precious name. Amen. Uh, I'm sad we're leaving this home. Anybody else? I, I'm grateful for the time we've had here, but this, uh, this, is, a, this is a pretty sweet place. Um, yeah. Anyway, this could be our last list of where we're headed. For you structure junkies out there, I do have a list of where we're headed today. And so for the next slide here, let's see uh, what's on tap. I used to live there. Settle down, Psalm 23 has said, God's crib, I don't know where I was going with that. Stairway to heaven, how do you see it? Acts 17, 24, and you too. Okay, so that's where we're going. I'm sure that's going to give you a good roadmap. But as I was, as I was thinking about this being our last Sunday and uh, home and those sorts of things, uh, it made me think about houses, homes, buildings, and I moved around quite a bit when I was younger. I don't, I don't know what quite a bit is for you guys, but for me it felt like maybe quite a bit. Uh, some people I know, your, your story may, I never, li maybe I never lived in one place longer than a year. Uh, but I was born in San Bernardino, San Berdu, and uh, right after I was born, my family uh, moved to New York City. We lived on Roosevelt Island, just off of Manhattan, and uh, we lived there for a year. I don't remember it, uh, surprisingly. But we moved back when I was about two to San Bernardino. I lived there till I was about five, and then we moved to Amsterdam in the Netherlands. Uh, I lived there for a year, went to kindergarten in Amsterdam at the international school there. Uh, then back to San Bernardino, because that was home, you know, that kind of was the place we always went back to. Uh, and then right after I finished second grade, we moved out here. We moved to Laguna Niguel, Dana Point. Uh, and I grew up there pretty much. My folks still live in that house. Uh, 32 years they've been in that house, which I think is pretty uncommon these days to be in a house for 32 years. But uh, that, and that wasn't their story either. This is the longest I think they've lived in one house. So. Uh, after high school, I moved to Santa Barbara, lived there for six years, and then to Washington, D.C. for a year, Northern Virginia for a year, then back to Dana Point. I met my wife, Anna. 
We lived in Ecuador in South America for a year, and then back to Dana Point, where we've been for the last eight plus years. So that's it. Let's close in prayer. Uh, but I tell you that my story of moving, where I've been, where I've come from, uh, and it tells you a little bit about me, right? It doesn't tell you everything about me, but it gives you an idea of some of the cultures I've been immersed in, primarily the middle class, suburban Southern California culture is probably the one I've been the most in, but a little bit of the East Coast urban and a little bit of Latin America. So I have those experiences as well. Uh, and there's a lot of memories in those places for me. And I was just thinking of this concept of home. When do you feel like you're going home? You know, some of you, uh, you may be, uh, further along in years, and you still think of when you go to see your parents that you're going home, even though you may have been living in your house for 20 years. So I'm going to go home and see my parents. It's, it's kind of, it's odd to say those things, but we have this idea of home. I was doing a little bit of research, and uh, according to a couple articles I read from the American Psychological Association, uh, one of them said, moving repeatedly in childhood is associated with poorer quality of life years later. I was not excited about that. Um, <laughs> there's, there's plenty of studies that have been done, and of course we can you know, kind of gear our studies towards the results we want to get. But it seems to be that a lot of moving had some negative impacts. And, uh, but for those that moved for good reasons, whether they were raising their quality of life, a new job, a new house, more space, more nature surrounding them, uh, things improved. Uh, but this idea of home is an important concept that I would say that we as humans are tied to. And I want to argue that it also limits us in some ways. So I had read another article entitled The Psychology of Home. And the author, Julie Beck, writes this. If home is where the heart is, then by its most literal definition, my home is wherever I am. And the truth is, the location of your heart, as well as the rest of your body, does affect who you are. The differences may seem trivial. A new subculture means new friends, more open spaces, make you want to go outside more. But they can lead to lifestyle changes that are significant. So where you live, where you're from, these are significant things, but they're also things that over time, I would argue, can divide us. Uh, here's what I mean by that. Um, like, over time, we be begin to develop feelings for places what, where we live, whether good or bad. Uh, we develop allegiances to our surroundings, uh, and those allegiances can divide us. You follow me here? Uh, it's as simple as I grew up, and I went to Dana Hills High School, and our rivals were the Tritons. Uh, I, I just butchered the name on purpose. That was mean. Uh, the Tritons. You know, and they chant, you know, squish the fish or whatever, spear, you know, whatever. Uh, we're the dolphins. And uh, how are we going to go up against the king of the sea? And, uh, <laughs> but what it did is over time, this friendly rivalry promotes this sort of uh, competition, and it promotes difference. We are different from you. And... And, it, and there, there are times to celebrate difference, right? Uh, different cultures, different experiences, different foods, different appearances. 
all those things. There are times when our differences are beautiful and we celebrate them, and then there are times when our differences cause us to make qualifications about the humanity of someone else. And sometimes we deem people less human based on their culture, their different experiences, the different foods they eat, and the way they look. So depending on where your home is, will have a direct impact on how you view the world, how you understand your place in the world. And so I want to read this psalm, the 23rd Psalm of David, and I want you to pay attention to the last line of the psalm as it pertains to a home, and that's, that's what we're going to focus on today. So I'm going to read this Psalm 23, a psalm of David, and we're just going to read through it again. You heard it already, but... Here it is. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So we're focusing on verse 6 this week, and a couple things I want to point out to you, and then we're going to feast together, okay? So we're not going to be here long. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the NIV translation. I'm going to give you a couple different translations. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. And then here's the message translation. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. I'm back home in the house of God for the rest of my life. So a couple things I want to look at here. Goodness and mercy. That was the translation I first used. Uh, the word in the Hebrew there for goodness is tov. Let me hear you say tov. Tov. It's good. It's all tov. That's, that's literally what it is, tov, boker tov is the Hebrew, good day, good morning. Uh, tov is a pretty standard word, but then this other word, mercy, is this word hesed. Let me hear you say hesed. Hesed is a word that I didn't really learn until recently in my life. Um, the hesed of God is found throughout, all throughout the Old Testament. Here it's translated mercy, and the other one it's love, and the other one it's unfailing love. Uh, but I would argue that this, this has said, doesn't, there's no one-word translation into the English, okay? It's, it's similar to the word shalom in the Hebrew. It has this depth of meaning, or the word aloha in Hawaii. There's, this, there's no one translation of the word aloha in the English. There's no one translation of the word shalom in the English. In the same way, there's the depth of the word hesed cannot be captured in English translations, but in an attempt, it often gets translated as mercy, loving kindness, steadfast love, 
or loyal love, it appears 248 times in the Old Testament, and 127 of those times are in the Psalms. So one thing we learn here is that these poets like David, prophets, historians, had an understanding that their God was associated with this idea of hesed. And that means something because this people group, it wasn't like the U.S. It wasn't the largest global military superpower of all time, right? Their people group was enslaved, nomadic for decades, exiled from their own land, beaten down, oppressed, living under oppressive regimes. This is the underdog that has somehow survived, and through it all they designate their God to be one of loyal and steadfast love. It has a different gravitas to it when it comes from that group of people rather than from the empire, right? This thing called steadfast love, loving kindness, a loyal love, a patient love, a saving love, an abounding love, a faithful love, and it is after you. It's actually pursuing you. It's not following you, like keeping its distance, like, I don't want to get in your way. It's like literally chasing you down. And that was, I, I love that. Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. It's working tirelessly to surround you. That's what the God of this universe is up to. Constantly moving toward you in love. Uh, my friend Bart likes to say he believes that God is constantly moving toward him in all places at all times. If only he is present enough, open enough, and awake enough to see it. I also want to acknowledge that some of you uh, are not experiencing life like that right now. Some of you may be in a great amount of pain. That's just the reality of life. And it's hard to be here sometimes and to look good, comb your hair, take a shower, show up, and smile, and say, how's it going? Fine. Yeah, it's fine. We're fine. Things are good. My marriage is failing, and my house is under foreclosure, and I lost my job. It's fine. It's fine. We're okay. And there's sort of this whatever spoken or unspoken idea that we have to be in this place with just a great show for everybody uh, because what we hear is that this love is pursuing us and chasing after us and wants us and wants to surround us and so life is supposed to be a certain way if that's the way the God of the universe is and yet we experience this gap and this pain in our lives. So I want to at least acknowledge you and say, look, you are sharing in the fellowship of his sufferings, as Paul would say. And the suffering, I would argue, is an invitation. It's an invitation into even deeper intimacy with this God who is well acquainted with sorrow. And the people who wrote this, like David, the people that talk about the hesed of God, they are well acquainted with suffering, oppressed people, marginalized people. 
And when we look back on all the years we've been here at the harbor and what we've gone through here as a family, the joy, the growth, the beauty, seeing people find new life, find freedom in their lives, find fullness of life, and yet at the same time we've experienced a tremendous amount of pain with some of our family members here, have we not? And yet we, we continue to see that the hesed of God, this loving, patient, steadfast love continues to pursue us and is after us. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Second thing I want to point out is the phrase, the last verse, last bit of verse 6, David believes that he will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now this made me think of a particular passage of scripture that always makes me think of Stairway to Heaven. Um, but then like when I think about the words of the song and the passage, I'm kind of like, eh, it doesn't really fit. But I want to read the passage to you. It's going to take me literally about a minute and a half. Uh, so just hang in there with me as I read this. Uh, it comes from Genesis, one of the first books of the Bible, actually the first book of the Bible. And chapter 28, verse 10, I'm going to read you this. The characters in this story are Jacob, who is like a father of the, of the Jewish faith. Um, you'll always hear the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who was later named Israel, for which we have the name of the tribe. Uh, so here we go. Verse 10, Jacob left Beersheba, this is out in the ancient Near East, and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones there, like you do when you need a pillow, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you'll spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until, until I have done what I have promised. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And apparently in the gate, at the gate of heaven and in the house of God, we use stones for pillows. So just look for luxury and comfort, right? Uh, it says in verse 19, uh, a little bit later, that he called that place Bethel, which means house of God. Now, I want you to hold that story in your head, and I want to show you some pictures of how, how God might see the earth and how we see it. And my question is, how do you see it? So I have some pictures here. This first slide here, uh, that's a picture of the earth from um, a little ways away. Probably you've never been to see this view of the earth. Uh, there's the moon up there in the left-hand corner as well. Uh, and you can kind of see, actually, there's the United States 
up there on the top left part of that giant blue ball. But I often think that maybe this is the view, this could be a view that God might have, right? That the divine would be at least big enough to see the world like this, right? Now, as we zoom in closer in this next slide, we're getting closer to the U.S. now. Uh, you can see the Sea of Cortez down there in the lower corner. You see the Great Lakes up there in the upper right. And uh, you can kind of make out Florida coming out over there on the right. The... Is this how you see the United States of America? When you think about the U.S., is that what you think of? All those people inhabiting that place. It's hard to see where the U.S. begins and Canada ends and where the U.S. ends and Mexico begins. Now, I would argue uh, that most likely you see the view like this next picture. And I didn't mean to have that verse of scripture on there, but great. Uh, here, this is how I often see it. Uh, you've got all the dividing lines. You've got different colors to separate them out and make them more distinguishable. And I would argue that we don't just do this on our maps, but we do this in our minds. We do this in the way that we categorize people, uh, especially during elections, I would argue, that states turn different colors, and different uh, cities and counties turn different colors. Uh, but it's pretty interesting to think that this is how we divide up that same space. And I'm not sure that the God of the universe, when the God of the universe looks down is really excited about all these divisions that we've made. I think the God of the universe celebrates the differences, the cultural differences, the beautiful difference, that, that all the vast differences that he's made among humanity, but I'm not sure these are the lines that he gets excited about. How do you see it? See... We talked about how home is an important concept for us. So there's Los Angeles, San Diego. You can see over there on the left. We're somewhere in the middle of there. How we celebrate our differences culturally, physically, otherwise. There are drawbacks to this, right? I, I think like in baseball, we cheer, let's root, root, root for the home team. The home team. If they don't win, it's a what? It's a shame. Got a lot of baseball fans in here. Uh, I'm not going to keep going with that one. Uh, I'm all for friend, friendly rivalry, but what we begin to do is we draw lines around our homes, and we, what we do is we create us, and we create them. We create this division. And instead of celebrating our differences and appreciating the differences, we begin to despise, criticize, judge others based on what side of the line they are on. 
And our psalmist David said, he is sure that he will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So if the house of the Lord, does that house have a line around it? See, I wonder if God was trying to show David that the house of the Lord is much, a much larger concept. And maybe it's not a particular place, but a way of relating and seeing and understanding God. Uh, there's a verse in Acts that illustrates this idea, and it's, it was printed over the map, but the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed every, anything. Rather, he himself gives every, everyone, everyone, that word translated there means all people, everyone. It just is literally everyone. Uh, Life and breath and everything else. It's interesting, if you, read, if you read the first verse of Psalm 24, which comes directly after the verse we're looking at, it says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Which leads me back to our original picture of Earth. In the next slide here. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Perhaps, just maybe, we need to have a more expansive view of what it means to dwell in the house of the Lord. And I want to I close with this story from this past Friday. Uh, you can leave that image up there. I had the privilege of attending a U2 concert this past Friday, and I felt in some ways like I went back in time, because I was hearing songs from the Joshua Tree album, which kind of take me back to high school when I really started listening to U2. I know that the album came out when I was like in fifth grade, but I was kind of more into Bon Jovi at that point. And uh, so there was this feeling of moving backward into a past. I was so surprised, I was talking to Anna as we were sitting there, and I'm like, I can't believe I know pretty much every single word to every single song on this album. And uh, it's still in my head. It's amazing. And here I am, <laughs> listening, and they, they played, uh, they were playing that, that album, and, and I'm, here I am 30 years later, and I've also felt this sense of moving forward because I was raised in a world of borders and lines, just like that image that we saw. But as I've grown older, I've come to think of and see the world more and more as this beautiful blue floating ball in a vast galaxy in a universe full of galaxies. And so Bono, who is the lead singer of this band who is from Ireland, uh, maybe you've heard of you too, maybe you haven't. I, we were with some friends who are both teachers, and one's a high school teacher, and he's telling his students, I'm going to see you too, and they're like, nobody knew who you too was. I was like, oh my, we're officially old. And uh, anyways, I'm listening to one of this, the lyrics of one of their most popular songs, which was, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And I know how we've talked about this before. Boog has talked about this. I've talked about this, how familiarity breeds unfamiliarity. Uh, it's, it's like you actually become so familiar with something that you fail to really examine it, so then it becomes unfamiliar. 
So I'm listening to this song that I've heard thousands of times. I'm sure I tried to play it for a girl on the guitar to impress her in high school and it went horribly wrong. And I'm listening to the lyrics and I'm hearing the writer and the composer of this song who's from Ireland in the US near the border of Mexico who's singing and it's the stadium full of people and the words that caught my ear anew go like this, I believe in the kingdom come, then all the colors will bleed into one, bleed into one. And I, I was like, ah, oh, that means so much more to me now than it did when I was 15. Uh, because I've seen, you know, we're living in a world of Charlottesville right now. We're living in a world of refugees from Syria and threats of a wall across our southern border and Black Lives Matter groups and the Women's March on Washington. And we're in this world where we are constantly facing these divisions and borders and groups and they're in and we're out and we're in and they're out and all of a sudden I hear that line, I believe in the kingdom come when all the colors will bleed into one and I'm like, oh, yes. He's been preaching that for 30, 40 years, like 30 years he's been preaching that message and I'm just now getting it. Oh, man, what if the kingdom of God, what if in the kingdom of God, the categories that keep us apart begin to fade away, begin to bleed into one category? Not the differences that make us unique and beautiful, but the categories that we create to keep some people out and determine who gets to be in. What if they bleed into one category called humanity? What if we truly dwelled in the house of the Lord forever? It's then what we, we would recognize that the house, of, the house of the Lord is not a place, but a vitality of a relationship with the divine presence that transforms us. Let me let her repeat that. The house of the Lord is not a place but a vitality of a relationship with the divine presence that transforms us. David is offering us a much more expansive view of God and our home here in the universe. And it has much more to do with our connection to God than it does with what side of a borderline we live on or where we even meet on Sundays. God will continue to shepherd us through it all. Let's pray. Lord, good shepherd, we are so grateful for this place, this whole place. Lord, as we think in our minds, as we zoom back out to where we can just see this beautiful, giant, blue floating ball and realize that the whole thing is your home. And that we have the privilege of dwelling in your home forever. That your goodness and your mercy are constantly chasing after us, pursuing us, hot on our tails. If we would just be present, open, and awake enough to see that there is this constant invitation into intimacy with you, into a deeper, more expansive love, and a fuller life. 
God, I pray that all of us might leave here today and proclaim that surely goodness and hesed, that loving kindness and mercy, will follow us all the days of our lives and that we do indeed dwell in the house of the Lord, of you, God, forever. Amen. Well, I was asked to uh, come up and close this morning after Johnny's great sermon. Thank you. Um, Psalm 23 says, Your beauty and love chase after me every day of my life. John showed a picture of the globe. Do you have a global perspective? Or is your perspective all chopped up and with borders around it? Dave got up here with Christian and Jim earlier, and he shared kind of a global perspective, but yet in Texas, in Houston, in Katy. And Jim, you broke my heart when you said that you had missed out on the opportunity that Christian and Dave had in having a chance to listen, to communicate, because you were busy working. Broke my heart because I can relate. That's kind of me too. And I don't know how many of you others fit in that workaholic type of a scenario. But I would encourage you, yes, this is our last day at the harbor. Next week, we're kicking off a new series in uh, at Shorecliffs Junior High School. And I happen to know, because Boog has encouraged me to read the book that he's going to be teaching on, it's called The Blessing. And we're going to be addressing this specific issue of missing out on the blessing, or giving a blessing, or being a blessing. So I'd encourage you to make it on down next Sunday at Shorecliffs, a different place, a different venue. But I, for one, am personally really excited about the change. Um, with that, I'm going to pray us out of here. Well, I'll pray us back in here, but I'm going to ask you to go. I'm going to ask you to go collect your kids, come back in. We've got the tables all set up. We're going to have a, share our meal here together at the harbor for the uh, for probably the last time here, but not the last time we're going to have uh, meals together. So let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for John for the message that he brought today. We thank you for the hope and the blessing that you bestow on each one of us to think that you're just pursuing us whether we're near or far. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for continuing to pursue us. And we pray for today. We thank you for the beauty that surrounds us. And we pray for each one that's here that they may be a blessing uh, today and receive your blessing in exchange. In Jesus' name, amen.